At the height of the hackerspace movement in 2008, technology enthusiasts around the world were busy creating spaces for co-working, experimenting, learning, many activities. Many of the design layouts and organizing methods they were using came from established hackerspaces in places like Berlin, Hamburg, San Francisco. Of course, what works in Berlin does not necessarily work in Baghdad, which is an issue that today's guest has been tackling for the past few years. Beyond cultural differences, as an organizer and facilitator of co-working and hackerspaces throughout the Middle East, North Africa, North America, and beyond, Bilal Khalib believes there is a fundamental reevaluation needed in the quest to make creative spaces for people. A new way of thinking that goes beyond having cool devices or making things, and instead focuses on community and the idea of supporting one another. Today on the program, we're talking about the community architecture of hackerspaces around the world with an individual who sees something very significant on the horizon. From Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark von Sekerrenderu, and this is Source Code Berlin. It was a few days before Republika last month when Bilal Khalib and I climbed onto the roof of one of Berlin's most famous squats to discuss his adventures and observations as an organizer of hackerspaces throughout the world. To help paint the picture of how he got into this world of collaborative, creative spaces, I began by asking him how this nomadic life got started. I've, I've been at the initial meetings of a huge, well, not huge, of a good portion of, of hackerspaces um, in the Middle East. And I've visited a ton in the United States, especially in 2009. Mm -hmm. I had just graduated and I was leaving squatting at MIT to go back to Michigan. And I had this thought that I really wanted to bring that culture home with me. I, I didn't want to leave it behind. It didn't have to be the special thing in Cambridge. And hackerspaces seemed to be the vehicle and they were taking off at that moment in time. And so JetBlue, okay, so this is like economic collapse, 2008. Everyone graduating at this time will not have a job. Right. But JetBlue also didn't have flyers. So they did this promotion where they were like, 600 bucks, fly as much as you want for 30 days. And I looked at that and I was like, JetBlue, you be daring me. You be looking at me in the eyes and being like, yo, Bilal, I dare you to do something awesome. I dare you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, I was like, what, what do I want to do? 30 days. And so... I convinced two of my friends to drop their jobs and obligations and to come on a road, uh, a plane trip, a 30-day cross-country insane plane trip to visit 55 hackerspaces plus and ask them what they were doing, why it was important, how they were organizing. And that's when I got to see a lot of the hackerspaces developing in the country at that time who were taking advantage of the collapsing economy. Like all the smart people didn't have jobs. Right. and all of the tools that were getting liquidated and all of the factories that were like empty waiting for someone with a good idea to step in and the good idea came in the form of the hackerspace design patterns 2007 just expressed and so people were like oh copy paste you know control c control v hackerspace in san francisco hackerspace in austin hackerspace in you know all over the country they started growing 
One of the concepts that has been developed extensively over the past decade has been the models or design patterns, as they're called, for running hackerspaces, a subject that even at the beginning of his career, Bilal was very interested in. And the structure, right? It was, it was about articulating um, different models that could work that I think made people envision the possibility. It was also a time of blogging. Yeah. And the time of sharing online, which really let people see. And, and also, Maker Faire was a big deal. So, many Maker Faires and the Maker Faire would bring a bunch of people together, and there would be all this energy. And people would be like, how do we keep this for the rest of the year? And then there would be an answer, finally. You know, it wasn't just like, wait until next year. Mm-hmm. It was, we could have a physical space, and here's a model that can help it persist. Mm-hmm. And the, the design patterns were basically articulating a model that was experimented in Berlin for 30 years and taking best practices and sharing it. And it worked and it didn't, you know, I was really inspired by the noise bridge model, uh, okay. consensus based. Anybody can get a key. Um, <laughs> noise bridge being that for all the newbies and, and, and yeah, welcome the hackerspace in, in San Francisco. Yeah. It was one of the first ones that we visited on our tour. We went to San Francisco. I was really, just really impressed and met Mitch and, Tried to bring that back with me to Michigan. Worked on that model for months and months. Our membership didn't really grow and the place kept staying dirty. And it wasn't until people stopped listening to me and made a mandatory... Like, it, it was a board now, right? And people, the decision-making was not done by just me. Even, as much as I had this excitement about it being just open to anybody and really accessible, like, we need to make it so that we can survive. And they implemented a mandatory $50 membership fee. And if you couldn't do $50, the hacker rate is 20. And if you couldn't do the hacker rate at 20, then talk to us about it. Mm-hmm. But there was now suddenly a value to the space. And this, this idea that this space had value made people treat it differently and treat each other differently. It was, it was actually really strange. And it's, it's something that, you know, you may have your ideals, but then there's the implementation and kind of what happens on the ground and the real world aspects of developing community space and how people's dynamics work. And so it changed and it still exists, you know, 2009 till whatever, 2015, seven years. Holy crap. It's been almost seven years for All Hands Active and they're still existing. And it's one of the things that I'm really excited to see. They've they figured it out. It was really hard and there have been lots of moments where they're on the razor's edge. But people kept coming up, leadership kept transferring, and the space continues to do wonderful things in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We turn now to culture and the question of how significant differences in culture are or can be when it comes to setting up such collaborative spaces in different parts of the world. One might say, uh, we are different and cultures are different, values are different, so therefore you can't take the same model, take the same design and apply it in different contexts. Others might say, no, fundamentally uh, creative and and enthusiastic individuals uh, who love tech technology or or the possibilities that technology brings, they have similar values. So you can take these designs and export them around the world. If you just look at the difference in culture between Michigan and San Francisco, there was a challenge in bringing this consensus-based anarchist model to the Midwest. Just even that was a hard jump. And going over to the Middle East now, Mm. 
talking to Nodas, who is helping set up a hackerspace in Basra, Iraq, way in the south. And I actually have these challenging discussions with him because some of the culture that he's saying the Iraqi hackerspace needs to address is that people like seeing images of success in order to join something. And so even though I've been chatting with him about how the space should really accept leadership to be coming from the grassroots and having everyone participate in making decisions about how the space looks and acts, he agrees with the concept. But he says in order to bring the space into reality and to be able to incorporate these sorts of ideas, it needs to already look successful. And to do that, someone needs to sort of take charge, install all the tools, buy everything, and then say, hey, this place has value to you because look at these things. And so, so sometimes culture and the values that I think are so exciting about hackerspaces seem to be in contradiction with each other. And you got to pick, pick the issues that you really want to stand for and recognize that maybe things are evolving. So you start off in some place where there is a more hierarchical model. There's somebody who's setting up a space for people. And then as the thing develops and as people are in the space and are becoming empowered, the model can change. And so that's, that's sort of Notice's perspective. And I'm, I'm, I'm torn up about it. It's not, it's not really clear cut. Through this conversation and the comparisons of places like Berlin, San Francisco, Basra, Beirut, Bilal eventually arrives at what has very much become a larger and very personal goal. The shift from emphasizing that we can make stuff to something more socially significant, or as he calls it, the importance of coding for society. So I like to be a shadow. I need to be a shadow. You said that I build spaces in the Middle East, but I don't. People there build the spaces in the Middle East. I'm a liaison. I like create stories and I share stories that I hope will inspire people to like look within themselves and to discover how they would like to be in the world. And I think that these are really inspiring models. Also, I think for me, I also just look back. <laughs> I try to find things in history. So looking back at the golden age in Baghdad, where there was this sort of collaborative environment where, uh, diversity was cherished and like people would come from all over the world to Baghdad to learn and develop and it was like a hub of innovation because of that and then if you look at things like the Library of Alexandria it wasn't just books people were there dissecting stuff there was a zoo there was things it was objects and so it's I, I try to find not just historical examples I try to find as human and as basic as we can get and one of the questions that I like to ask people is, you know, when you were young, did you make your own toys, you know? And just trying to find the things that everyone can really resonate with across cultures and then point to these types of initiatives and spaces that can help us reconnect to that kind of thing and sort of fight, fight is a tough word for me, but <laughs> yeah. I find that um, we've kind of given up agency and it's not that we've given it up it's that uh, in a long slow process we've traded it for conveniences and we've sort of been manipulated into 
buying rather than making the world that we want to be in. And this is where it starts to get political and it starts talking about economics and value and different ways that we can support each other. And so there, the, some of the reasons why the values are so important to me is that it's about a new form of globalization that I think is beautiful and is authentic to being a human being mm. and some of the ways that um, we, like, we create and support our, ourselves throughout all of history. It's not just like snapshot Basra 2014, you know, it's, there's a narrative arc that humanity has been going through. And we're at this time where I think people are feeling this, this, uh, unease with the way that things are. It's actually kind of connected to what brought me to start doing this work in the first place. 2007, I was in Syria I was running a music venue in an art gallery in Michigan. I was oh. doing screen printing and it was really collaborative and cooperative. Like the artists would design shirts for the musicians who would host shows at the space where people could see the art on the wall from the artists that designed the shirts and it was all really intermeshed. It was sort of like trying to create a micro economy of people who were supporting each other and doing their art and having a life while doing it. Yeah. And that, that's what I was doing. And so as, as some weird sort of entrepreneur, community organizer, I always had opportunities for participating in the world the way that I wanted to. You know, It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to go be a day trader, trading my time for a little bit of cash so that I can do whatever. I'm, yeah, I really wanted to try to find ways that took the best of me and helped me engage with the world on it. It was, it was like a constant learning experience and growing. And I went to Syria and I saw the complete opposite of this, where a bunch of my family from Iraq came over. It was just desperation. There was no hope. Even when things were challenging, it wasn't like, hey, we can like figure out a way to make things better. And as dumb as it sounds, I don't know how old was I when I was in 2007. I was pretty young, but pretty dumb. I thought, you know what would be great in the Middle East is this sort of entrepreneurial attitude. And so initially, because entrepreneurship is about engagement and making the world what it is and uh, seeing your hand at creating all of this stuff. And so I thought I would make business incubators in the Middle East. That was the only model that I knew at the time. And after some time, I found out about hackerspaces. And so I started getting excited about this new model. And then 2011 hits the revolution started happening in Egypt. And I was reading about people getting pissed off with the revolutionaries because of increasing food prices. And I was like, okay, so this is an economics question. This is about um, new ways of supporting each other and looking at Tahrir, thinking about community, thinking about this group of young, technologically savvy people trying to create change in their, their world by doing the same old thing and like trying to change hierarchy, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I don't know. I think maybe I was even less interested in top-down change then than I am now. And I was like, this, this can't be. We need to find a grassroots model that we can share that brings in values of entrepreneurship. And so before telling people to go out and start businesses, just say like, hey, this is how we can create and support each other. And these are interesting sorts of spaces. So that was kind of the process. And I've learned a lot since then. And I've changed a lot since then. Moved 
away from talking about how to make stuff, you know, saying like, it's super easy. You know, there's open source modular creativity, kind of creating things physically, taking the same process of the object-oriented programming modularity, but into the physical world because we now can share hardware blocks. And anyway, it was like talking about how to make stuff, creating these community spaces where we share resources and talking about laser cutters and tools. And even though there's an educational component, the community aspect just persisted as being more and more and more important over time. Right. And the rest were the tools that kind of facilitated people showing care for each other, you know? And I've, I've come to some point where I'm more interested in sharing why we make than how. And that's kind of where my mind is right now. And this is why I've been doing a lot of design thinking uh, workshops, because it talks about empathy, talks about before starting off on a creative process, figuring out a place uh, that has need by connecting to an individual. And that, that talks about the personal stuff that really matters to me. Because I go to so many fab labs, so many hackerspaces and makerspaces around the world where like, check out this 3D printed gear, dude. Can you believe it? Look, I'm sorry. Please, if you hear yourself in my voice, I'm not insulting you. I'm, you I'm excited. Do it, people do it. Yeah, I'm yeah, excited yeah. about this, this opening of resources. And that was me just a couple of years ago. But now I think we've developed these spaces. We've developed these tools and this capability. And now we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with it? Right. And that's the exciting thing. That's like the like, hey, here we are. Look at the world. There's thousands of these hackerspaces. There's so many people that are excited about making. So many people that are connected to this international network. And also a world that is extremely broken on so many levels. It's like perfect storm, sort of. <laughs> and somewhere underneath all this complexity and all these layers of discussion, there is Berlin and the initiatives that started or at least were carried out successfully here before anywhere else. And that became a sort of example and inspiration for hackerspaces everywhere. Oh, Berlin. Shoot. Yeah, Berlin was um, really exciting to me back in 2012. I mean, the hackerspace design patterns came from Berlin. Hackers on a Plane came here back in 2007. And they were some of the first people that I connected to when I was really excited about hackerspaces in the early days. And it's kind of been the place where this sort of community architecture is being experimented with. And also, like, we're at K9 right now. We're on the roof of this this squat that became legitimate and has some uh, weight with the governance of the, the city. And there's a lot of reasons why I think hackerspaces were born in the modern sense from this sort of ecosystem. And there's a lot of things that we can learn, and we have, even though we're reestablishing design patterns that make sense. Like there's a feminist hackerspace design patterns developed by Double Union in San Francisco you can find online. And we don't have the 30 year experience for spaces in the Middle East, but the stories are coming. And there's uh, a call that I do once a week where I just open up a hangout and I ask all the people that are establishing spaces around the world in my community and mostly in the Middle East to talk with each other say like what have you done last week to accomplish your goals and what do you need to do next week and it's sort of modern day real life real-time learning but it's it's connected to that virus the design patterns is like a 
So I think about programming and creating ideas that kind of influence the way people see things and see opportunities. And I think that creating the design patterns and sharing this idea really helped people take it and make it their own. But it, it kind of helps it stick in people's minds. It's like an coding for society. In 2011, Bilal helped start the Global Entrepreneurship and Makerspace Initiative, also known as GEMSI, which would, quote, provide people in the Middle East with tools and infrastructure to solve problems in their communities and take control of their own futures. Since then, he's helped to connect interested individuals in places like Baghdad and Basra, Beirut, Cairo, Alexandria, and well beyond, to the global network of creative spaces. Among their initiatives, which even I have gotten to join in on, is the weekly hangout slash video conference to discuss what's going on, as well as giving and asking for advice among those involved in hackerspaces, makerspaces in different corners of the world. Well, the last call I kind of missed because I was okay. flying to Berlin, uh, but... I, I literally, I was through security. I opened up my phone. I was like, hey guys, I've got to go through security. And the security guard was like, hey, who are you talking to? I was like, these guys. And so my call had this security checkpoint guy from Atlanta, like waving to my friend from Palestine, my friend from Berlin, my friend from Basra, my friend, who else was on that call? From Basra, Iraq. And so it was really cool. And I was kind of nervous to tell him like, I'm talking to terrorists. You know, <laughs> no, no, no. Right, basically right. location wise for a security guard at an airport in the Western world. Yes, there's all kinds of, uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of like ideas that might come to his head. If it was like, yeah, I'm talking to somebody from Palestine and Iraq right now. And he'd be like, we're going to need to take you to secondary security. Anyway, so that, that, that was the call that I missed. The week before was actually really exciting because we had a full house. Um, let me see if I can remember everyone that came. We had Alton from Kosovo. We had, uh, I think Noras made it last time from Basra. We had uh, Samer comes so regularly from Palestine. We had Aditi from India. We had Max from Germany, from Berlin. Mm -hmm. Who else did we have? And so, so there was ac actually some really great things happening where Aditi is a part of a foundation and they're looking to potentially support some work that another one of the groups is doing and people had connections to, um, oh my God, yeah, big news. Notice has been looking for people that have government connections in the world where governments have validated the existence of makerspaces and hackerspaces to convince the Iraqi politicians that he's been connecting to, to kind of give them any sort of props, like any beginnings of like, hey, let's talk to the government about how we're not building bombs here and supporting ISIS and how we're actually building something that's helpful for the country. Right, because there are countries in the world where hackerspaces, fab labs, makerspaces, they, they get recognition from either whatever, city authorities. Yeah. And that recognition is useful for moments like that, I guess. Uh, and, and all sorts of things and like funding and for zoning and like even in America, it's kind of hard to describe what your space is to the government where they're like, wait a second. So you're going to allow 14 year olds to carry torches and uh, you're going to do this in a residential area. And people are like, no, you're just no. Yeah. A lot of legal issues that are being resolved in a lot of the other spaces that are still really fresh for the, the Middle East. And so uh, 
interact. That's a current problem you just laid out. The the, the idea that these hacker spaces uh, are seen at this point by the government as potential hotbeds for bad, bad people. And, yeah. And the machines they're using, potentially machines to do bad. Yeah. It's, it's actually, I think, when they look at what they're ordering... You know, it's like, hey, you're putting in an order for like a bunch of electronics and there's a lot of suspicion and it's like valid concerns about people that are buying these resources. And if you're in Iraq and you're looking for somebody that wants to do something evil and you're looking at the the purchase orders of a new hackerspace, you might <laughs> they might be able to like look at them and realize that they're they're one and the same purchase order for, for a lot of things. I've also had that weird question from people who are like, hey, man, listen, you want to set up a hackerspace in Lebanon? You know what people are going to do there? You're giving access to these tools to potentially really bad people, man. And that's... I was that, at that meeting for the new hackers, the return of Lambda Labs uh, the other week. Oh, yeah? I've never seen so many hugs in my life. Yeah. Really? Yes. Aww! <laughs> Dude, you gotta read... I just wrote up an AMA, uh, uh, sorry, an uh, Ask Me Anything on Reddit where somebody asked me that question and literally I used that same response. I was like, listen, man, you go to one of these spaces, you get more hugs than you do anywhere else in the world. <laughs> yeah. And... But and, so these are the types of yeah. judgments... So getting government approval is really helpful for, for those sorts of things. And they actually succeeded in getting the first government document that said something positive about science camp in Basra being a cool place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's required to get something like that? Like around here in Europe, uh, there's probably a process. There could be a form mm. um, in Iraq. There may also be a process. I mean, the process is, who do you know that's in the government and uh, yeah. how can you get them to visit and how do you have these conversations and what other governments can you connect them to either over email or through conversation that they can be like, ah, you see, so China's doing this. That means it's cool, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's, I don't know, it's, it's politics. I'm not a politician uh, and I don't really have that sort of political savvy to be able to, to do this kind of stuff. But I do know people who who have these connections. And so I think like that's what you asked what, what I brought that up because you asked what happens at those calls. Yeah. And so this is one of the questions that Noah has brought up. He's like, Hey guys, like I'm trying to get hackerspaces recognized by the government. And he got good answers. And we, we talked about that because we're talking about like modern day design patterns and it's too fresh. So it's, it's about learning on the fly and learning with each other as we're developing and trying to take these design patterns that were figured out for Berlin and make them modern and applicable to the spaces that are growing in a very different context. You're listening to Source Code Berlin from Wikimedia Deutschland. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. see a ton of these spaces and they're growing all over the world there's something that resonates and sparks you know you're gonna say like uh, cultural appropriation these things are western ideas getting pushed around like no there's something that sparks people on like a very deep fundamental human level that makes these spaces where people are sharing resources and are getting access to the creativity that was stolen from us 
and it's just resonating with people. And not only that, it's resonating with people on ways to make a living supporting yourself, doing something that matters to you. And so it's got that like entrepreneurial side, it's got the creativity side, it's got the, the human connection side that I think is really lacking in a world that is mostly about compensating for that with financial success, right? And, and so it's, it's resonating and it's spreading, but this is my idea about a couple of the core themes and ideas within these spaces that really matter. And the gig is the Global Innovation Gathering. They're going to be here at Republica in three weeks. And one of the things about hackerspaces.org is this is like a giant wiki where anybody that's like, yeah, I have a 3D printer, click, yes, hackerspace, how many members? Two, right? Me and my mom or something. <laughs> and it, can, it goes up and it's really open and accessible and it's great to find people because people are proposing hackerspaces and, and makerspaces and stuff like that on that place but it doesn't have a really clear common ethos the only common ethos is like how queasy do you feel by calling yourself a hackerspace some people feel super queasy some people feel very in line but everyone sort of redefines the word for themselves right. and one of the thoughts is we could make this a real clear movement we're trying we're bringing a bunch of these people together the gig does it school factory in the states has this consortium of maker and hacker spaces that are all under the fiscal sponsorship of this organization there's afro labs which is a bunch of spaces in africa there's the the fab lab movement which is a ton of spaces uh makerspaces.org had some library and school connection that was connected to make and make magazine and stuff like that there's there's hubs of hubs, right? Mm -hmm. But I think there could be a way to figure out how to connect to each other and know what to do when we have a common vision and mission. When we can say, hey, these are this is our ethos. This is what's really important. This is something beyond culture. These are the things that we are that is that resonating thing that's making people really inspired to do this stuff. You know, some of it was 3D printing and people got up with a fad and they got really excited about this tool. And then it's like, it's now, I went to this hackerspace in Banja Playa, something like two hours outside of uh, Bombay. Huh? Oh shoot. Yeah, two, two hours way into the wilderness in uh, India. And I meet these kids and they're sitting there with like hot glue and they're like tearing bottles apart and they're the most like active, excited hackerspace I've ever seen, right? And um, everyone's like, look at my toy, I made this thing and it's got this mechanical linkature that's like really creative and it's like paddling. And then they're like, oh, but guess what? We're a real hackerspace, because come check this out. They take me to the back room and there's a 3D printer sitting there and like, look, we printed a keychain. So we're real, we're like a part of the club. And I'm like, no, you're a part of the club because of what you're doing out yeah. there, not because of what's back here. And anyway, so I think having this, this gig get together, the Global Innovation Gathering as bringing spaces, I actually noticed is coming from Basra. So if you're hearing this and it's not gig yet and you're in Berlin, come shake this guy's hand. He's a beautiful man. Come uh, meet up with Samir, who's coming from Palestine and meet up with... Uh, All the people from the call. All the people. Yeah, some, yeah, some people from this call are coming. Uh, I don't think Aditi is coming. There's also all these beautiful people from all over Africa and Kenya. And we're going to all be together. And it'll be a, a, a perfect moment to have this question about like, what the hell are we doing? What's so exciting about it? And if we, instead of hackerspaces.org, you sign up just because you feel like it and you can, and it's an open wiki, 
it would be great if we had, I don't want to call it a manifesto. I don't know what else to call it, but like <laughs> a guiding set of ethics. What's cool about what we're doing being the, the way that people can be like, you know what? I'm interested in accessibility and accessibility in the full sense of the word, not just like having open source files that people can download, but in making the space accessible for old people, for young people, for people of color, for people with disabilities. And that's an important value that is important to my space. And I, I would hope that that's something that most of these spaces, I think a lot of them will currently agree. Some of them that have a certain bent might not, but talk about these certain set of values that we can have so that we inform ways how we engage with each other and how we're making a difference in the world and reinforce that. Because right now, me and Geraldine and some other people from Republic are, are thinking about programming to run. And if we had this, this sort of articulated set of ethics, I think we'll know more about how, how to behave and what to do, especially when we're trying to collaborate and especially when we're trying to find our friends. Having this be on our sleeve, so to say, mm -hmm. I think we'll, we'll make, make it really easy for us to reinforce each other in some of these beautiful things that are happening that I think are really transformative instead of going to a space and being like, well, that's not really what I was expecting to find. And maybe having these, these main values go beneath the cracks when new spaces are getting caught up in what could be seen as a trend, right? There's like a lot. Yeah, of... yeah, yeah. And so if, if this, this list was like, before you go through the list is like, a set of things, a set of values. And you're like, yeah, that's me. That's totally me. Right. Yeah. Accessibility is important. Being welcoming is important. Hospitable is important. Like some, some, some set of values. I'm like, yeah, click done. Now I'm on this list. Now, when you go to whatever this list is and you, you understand what this is about, you understand the transformation that we're trying to, to implement and the kind of worldview that we're trying to, to establish. Perhaps one of the most interesting and potentially controversial aspects of Bilal's observations and conclusions that he's arrived at regarding what people are looking for and could most benefit from when it comes to collaborative creative space is that while technology is always part of the equation, it can also be an obstacle. People need to experience the, the beautiful parts and the exciting parts yeah. and the hey, I can do this parts. I think one of the problems with the hackerspace movement is has a lot of um, technology that gets in the way of the agency, even as the technology becomes easier to use and as people are designing tools that are easier to use. And one of the ways that I am hoping to overcome that with the pop-up hackerspace we're setting up at Gig is I want people to embroider their name tags. You know, just just do the thing that is... Yeah close to hand and that brings people in and brings people down this path of like, wait a second, so I can do this. And that means that I can do that. And like, holy shoot, like kind of training wheels. Yeah. <laughs> Embroidery. Yeah. I like it. I think, okay. So I'm thinking popsicle sticks and tool, you know, like from wedding dresses, really cheap. And then it's a rectangle and you just glue the popsicle sticks with hot glue Okay. and then uh, thick thread. And just, you can make like really cool name tags that way. And if we brought some conductive thread and then some um, LEDs, it could be so simple to add lights and like blinky things. And people love lights, man. I don't know why. Just like people love them. Yeah. And, and just like this, this 
It's a really simple way to start participating. And more things that I want to do like that, I want people to build furniture. I want to bring scrap wood, bring nails and hammers and be like, listen, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's going to go away in a couple of days, but make something to sit on, you know, yeah. become a part of the architecture, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think changing our environment gives us another, like a sense of agency, you know? And Or realizing that we can change our environments you yeah. know, like, by proving it. And it could be just yeah. physical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They say code is law, and I think architecture is law, because architecture informs behavior. Mm -hmm. um, without that ladder there, we wouldn't be up on this roof. We would not be on this roof. Definitely. We wouldn't know what it even looked like. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've got Google Earth, but yeah. Anyway, so, so that's some of the stuff that I'm thinking about uh, the space. It's some of the stuff that I think about when I'm helping people start talking about creating these spaces. The first tool that I brought to Lumba Labs was a screen printing press. Lumba Labs in Beirut. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Was it was a screen printing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was actually so exciting because it helped us create a sense of identity. And like we, we like really early on came up with this kind of fun symbol of a light bulb with wrenches oh, yeah. and we printed it and suddenly we were a crew and everyone could print and everyone could make the stuff and it became a way to engage with actually like these activist organizations in Lebanon because everybody wants t-shirts and anyway bringing in a tool that was screen printing press really informed some of the culture about the space more than the 3d printer like, the, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. and it just also is something that everyone can be a part of one of the great things about Lumba Labs that I re really liked about it was it was actually more men more women than men and that's something that you don't see in hackerspaces anywhere else in the world. And this is the Middle East. Although it is Lebanon. Lebanon is a little bit more open in terms of gender dynamics. Yeah. Um, it still was really exciting to me. And I think it had something to do with bringing in these things that brought people together rather than scared people off. And people were kind of like, people that don't know what a circuit really, how a circuit works can be intimidated by it. Right. So if, if one of our goals as these hackerspaces makerspaces is to bring in people that aren't already a part of the group we should think about how we architect the space and how our how, like what kind of programs and what kind of tools we we share that get people excited that can bring new new people in and it also connects straight up to the next idea that's supposed to be really exciting about these spaces and that's diversity it's like people always like i was talking to this group of people who were like yeah diversity is one of the best ways to like come up with new ideas and we want to be innovative right so let's bring the electrical engineers with the programmers <laughs> and i was like great it's first step you know first step that's great Very diverse, yes. <laughs> and and so this this idea of um, being welcoming and accessible by changing the tool set by like creating a, an architecture that's has lights and ceilings and art and friendliness and and all this stuff like you actually have access to that innovation that you're talking about you're having access to those values that we talked about that I think in the limited expression when when we express it in a limited way we wind up having a club that is self-informed and just the same group of people that keep showing up and and in order to really access what we can be we need to be really clear about our values and really clear about whether or not we're implementing them well okay you know i think those guys that were like yes electrical engineers and programmers diversity and they thought they were doing it really well but like taking a critical eye and asking and have this introspection i think is is uh, important
Just a few years ago, Bilal got to observe and be a part of the setting up of the first hackerspace in Beirut, in a region of the world more often famous for conflict and lack of connectivity. It was a shining example of what groups of motivated individuals can accomplish together, regardless of the obstacles. It has been in this story that Bilal saw one of the best examples of what the real strength within a hacker or makerspace is, which is in fact not the space at all. Recently, so Lebanon lost its hackerspace, the physical space, for a year. Didn't have space. No one was Arduinoing anything. Arduinos, none. Okay, but there was something persistent, and so this is where my, the beginning of my idea about what I do in my talks about building relationships. This is this is kind of the kernel of that, because I went to Lebanon recently, and there was something really sad that had happened. One of our, one of the core members, one of the most active people, he he did a TEDx talk about the space, and he was just a lovely, lovely human being. Uh, got cancer, and then a year later died while the space was disassembled but i was only there for for i tried to make it before he had died but i I got there a week after and it was just so lovely to see the people coming together and supporting each other in this tough time and supporting his mom and visiting her and making sure that she has company and that she isn't alone and it was it was the same crew it was it was our crew and this this idea of like how do we support each other right it it made it made way more sense now and it had nothing to do with technology like we didn't even have our space anymore and that's something that raja talks about in his tedx talk he's like he's talking about the community and love being some of the important parts and the rest being the implementation. It's like, what happens because of that? It's like, because you care, I want to help you with your idea, you know? And it brought the crew together. This, this really sad thing, seeing Raja pass away. And even as, as he was getting um, weaker, I I actually, I visited Beirut when he was going through treatment and we all went to his house, like a, a, a subset of the crew went out to his house and we played some, some board games and it brought the community together. And now, when Raja died, I was there the week after. And the week after that, we were all sitting together watching his video, kind of remembering and feeling the importance of this community space. It wasn't just an idea anymore. We were there realizing the power and they're now taking that energy and using it to rebuild and restart. They're having meetings and uh, build nights and... That's that's so beautiful to me. It's like, you know, people try to say like, oh yeah, you've built like prosthetic legs for your cousin in Iraq and you've done this and this. And they're talking about like tools being reused for like good in the world. And let's talk about how we can have hackerspaces in refugee camps so that we can do an act where we give somebody a hand again. But when I was there, I think the, the, the thing that brought the space back together and the thing that made people really clear about what the value was, was beyond all of the tools, was beyond all of this symbol and to the heart of the matter, which was the, the care and the connection and the support that we can offer each other. And this was the vehicle. Lumba Labs is the vehicle for that. Anyway, so that's like a really beautiful thing to me. And it really helps me 
understand the work that I do and, and why it's important to me and why I talk about the why so much. As you can no doubt hear in his words and enthusiasm, the journey Bilal is on and the other projects he's a part of, they're always very personal. And what's impressive and inspiring is the link between his own personal discoveries and the evolving community initiatives that span from North America to Europe to the Middle East and now well beyond. If there's one message I took away from this conversation, it's that when it comes to hackerspaces and communities, for Bilal Khalib, it is very personal. And that's a very good thing. I use the word beauty a lot. It's like, so 2011, girlfriend broke up with me. I was in shambles, basically. And I tried to really figure out, like, what, uh, what do I want to use my life to do? Like, what is important in my life? And in my tradition, there's a statement that goes, In Allah Jamilun Yahibud Jamal, which is God is beautiful and He loves that which is beautiful. And when I had all these questions about God and existence and purpose and everything, I realized that, you know, no matter what, I don't think I'd feel bad if I used my life to create beauty. Either way. And, uh, yeah. This, this word beauty means a lot to me. And I like to not only help myself achieve that, the, the, my process is always meta, you know. I find a lot of value in creating businesses and finding agency in the world. And so I want to give other people the value of doing these things and, and finding agency in their, in their lives. And like, I helped set up this thing and it was really supportive for me and my community. And that would be great if we shared it with more people. And so it's always for me about like reaching into the world, finding something that I really um, am lit up by and then sharing it. And this, this is like the most meta concept of, of them all. It's like, how do you live a beautiful life? You know? And I love it as a mission statement for me because it grows and evolves with me. The other really important thing in, in the way that I, I live is I'm always trying to understand myself just a little bit better and understand the world just a little bit better and then live there, you know, and try to be really honest because I spent way too much of my life being dishonest with myself. Uh, just lying to the people around me and I think, yeah, it was, you were talking about that moment where you can really see that you don't have to do things the way that they've always been done and how scary that could be. I think yeah. for me, it took, it took like real shock to shake myself out of this. I had some, some challenges growing up as a Iraqi American in a small Muslim community trying to figure out identity issues and also Michigan too, right? yeah Michigan and, and it took a, it took a long time and it's still going on but for a while I just wasn't clear with myself because I felt like I would lose my family or I would lose my sense of self and so if there's anybody who's out there is kind of struggling with acceptance and figuring out who they are, it's, it's terrifying. It's also liberating. And once you start being honest, you can start doing things that are true and good and needed in the world. 
Bilal Khalib is a liaison and facilitator of makerspaces, hackerspaces, co-working spaces, and problem-solving initiatives around the world. You can find him occasionally in Berlin, but more often on the road or via his website, bilalkhalib.com. And that does it for this edition of Source Code Berlin. A reminder that we're less than a month away from Enthusiastic Con, which is taking place at Wikimedia Deutschland in Berlin from June 19th to the 21st for programmers and people curious about programming to share what they love or simply find interesting. I'll be there talking with people and learning as we go. For more info on the event, head over to sourcecode.berlin click on Enthusiastic Con. While you're there, you can subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss an episode. You can also leave a comment to share your own thoughts and observations. You can also do that via Facebook or Twitter at SRC Code Berlin is where you'll find us. Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland podcast with music today by Madoka, which is available under a CC license on the Free Music Archive. This podcast is published under a CCBYSA 4.0 license and edited by me. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I think your your challenge is you're a one man, everything. Yeah, having somebody above us with a boom mic. A lot easier. Out of the way, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Like literally, it's out of sight, so we can get lost in the conversation without me being like, "There's a white thing right in front of me." Right? Yeah, yeah, or without me looking at the meter. Oh yeah, I'm just checking yeah. the meter. That's why you got to get your Google yeah. Glass. Oh, the meter yeah. would be in my face. In your face. Yeah, but then you'd see me like going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that was an Alex laugh. I love that I carry that with me, so.